Hello, beautiful, and welcome to Finding Fertility. I'm your host, Monica Cox from FindingFertility.co, and I created this podcast to help get you to start thinking outside of the box and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, Finding Fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding Fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility. But what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family. Just by being here with me, listening to this podcast, you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true. Let's do this together. Hello, beautiful. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Fertility. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and I'm super excited to have you and honored that you are on your journey to be the conscious mama that you were born to be. Today, we have the second half of Dr. Nathan, OBGYN, and this is... um just information that is not talked about enough. I know that I knew like very minutely about like some of this stuff, but I'm super excited that this knowledge can get out there and you take what resonates with you and you can start making more conscious and informed decisions about your um, pregnancy and especially your birth and moving into postpartum and motherhood. So without further ado, here's today's episode. Yeah. When you um, are getting prepared to map out your birth plan, <laughs> which like you highlighted, that plan can go out the window, <laughs> down the hill, across to another country and like get Like the meatball lined. on top yeah. of spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, it just ends up as mush. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm really honest with yourself or with myself, radical responsibility, I'll say it. I didn't surround myself enough with um, people like you, people giving me that confidence. And that's how I got pregnant naturally. I surrounded myself with podcasts and books um, because no one around me was talking about these things and they all thought I was crazy. But I felt like I didn't do that enough with birth. And um, so that was my fault. Um, and I got sucked back into handing over my intuition and I like all these things. I can literally tell you all the mistakes that I made, but that's the lesson that I've learned. And here I am. I'm going to share it so you don't have to um, <laughs> go through this is um, I got put in a very specific category. I was over 35 and I was IVF. So doctors were like, you're going to be super unhealthy. You're going to have struggles like your baby. Uh, they literally told me that my baby would die if I didn't have, um, if I didn't start to be induced because I was overdue by two weeks. And so I listened and it- Pretty compelling argument. You don't want your baby to die. Do exactly. Right. And so- No, um, of course not, doc. Tell me what I got to do. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thing and my, my, my like- uh, advice to people is when you get pregnant and if you want a certain type of birth, whether that be a home birth, a natural birth, or even a birth in hospital without medication, whatever you want to choose, go and find that community and immerse yourself in all the knowledge and all the wisdom, because that's what's going to get you through 
you know, the situations where you might not feel you know, secure about your decision, but your intuition's like, no, don't do that. But you're like, oh, no, my baby. Um, yeah. yeah. What is your advice for women who, um, where, where do you think they should go to start immersing themselves in that? I guess if we're, if we're talking about finding your people while you're pregnant and um, in order to have the support, you know, for an autonomous birth, I, I you know, I, obviously we've already We've already beat this this one to death, but it really comes down to tuning into what it is that you that you want, and keeping in mind that there's really no right place to have a birth. I'm a huge advocate for home birth because I think home birth requires advocacy right now, mm -hmm. but people mistake my advocacy for being against hospital birth or um, or thinking that every woman, you know should that word should have a have a home birth like that doesn't that's not me i don't care who where you have a baby what i do have a problem with is when a nurse practitioner a midwife a doctor uses language that effectively coerces a person into feeling compelled to have a hospital birth yeah or likewise if a midwife or doctor like me coerces you and makes you feel bad for having a hospital birth and you feel compelled to have a home birth even if that's not where you feel is the best place to have a baby so when you're when we're talking about birth plans, the purpose of a birth plan is not to say here's how things are going to go. Mister. <laughs> They're going to get it stamped by some you know uh, notary or something as if that really. F Can I curse on your podcast? Yeah, Sorry. absolutely. Uh, as if that really fucking matters, you know <laughs> that you have it notarized. Who gives a shit if it's notarized? The purpose of a birth plan is not to go in with your guns up, and physiologically, it doesn't make sense to go in with your guns up. Yeah. Even when you were talking about the stress, the triggering. I mean, I remember being there. I thought that if I brought my erect penis near my wife, we would have a baby. And it took us four or five months to get pregnant. And eventually it was like, she was like, you're stressed out about this for no reason. Relax, let me take over. And then she just checked her mucus and bam, we got pregnant. It just, it's just so happened that I had no idea how babies are made. And so I <laughs> said, OBGYN. And so, um, but I remember in that four to five month period, it seemed like everybody was getting pregnant mm -hmm. and I was stressing out about it. Now, if you are a person who, especially if you're a woman of a typical heterosexual relationship with a man and you're under stress as a result of not being able to get pregnant and you're getting these little hits from Instagram and Facebook and it's the wanderlusting thing, but now we're talking the wanderlusting fertility journey the catecholamine surge, that stress actually impacts your fertility. Yeah. It puts extra stress on your adrenals, your endocrine system. It counteracts the role of oxytocin, which we know is important for conception. We know it's important for orgasm and orgasm floods the body with oxytocin. Oxytocin causes a quivering of the uterus to bring sperm up towards the opening of the fallopian tubes. And guess what counteracts oxytocin? It's catecholamines. It's that flight, fight, or freeze. So if you're stressed out, it's time to have sex. It's time to have sex. Let's go. I'm ovulating. The strip turned pink or whatever. That process doesn't work. It, it yeah. hasn't worked. It will never work. Occasionally, it works, and people are like, there's the answer. A technology. Outsource my power versus relaxing into this, becoming intimate with your partner relieving all stress around this. That's why people get pregnant on their honeymoons, mm -hmm. on their vacations, their first vacation in five years, or they go to the doctor's office and they outsource their power or, or they, they, they offload the stress to an REI doctor and they go home and have sex and bam, their first conception after years of trying and, mm -hmm. and, and not, not making it happen. The same process goes for birth and in, in, in childbirth and labor. Um, if you're having a lot of 
if people are activating your neocortex, telling you scary things, you're going to get a flight fight response. You're going to want to put your dukes up. You're going to want to show your notarized birth plan and all this other junk. And that counteracts the role of oxytocin. So your labor slows down, just like we see mammals in the wild. It's it's kind of like become cliche to talk about, but you know, a lioness is going to find a safe place to, to have birth. Even if they're in the middle of birthing, they'll stop the labor, run a couple hundred yards away from the hyenas and give birth in this other field. The same goes for our limbic system, our catecholamine rush that happens when we feel afraid. And of course, at the very moment that the baby comes out, there is a surge of catecholamines. It's very scary. You're stepping through the portal. So you really just need to leave a woman alone in mm -hmm. birth. And if selecting a place to have a baby is going to activate that that catecholamine surge, you're naturally going to disturb the physiologic birth process, which is why hospital births are becoming less and less favorable for certain groups of women because they realize I feel safer at home. I feel cozier at home. Mm -hmm. I feel better with my midwife. She's not using language, especially while I'm in, in duress, having a contraction. She's not using language to get me to sign paperwork or answer questions or make hard decisions. She's just letting this be. And so when you're coming up with the plan for birth, you just have to bear in mind that best the best thing for you if you desire a vaginal birth an undisturbed oxytocin flooded experience which sometimes can even lead to the ecstatic orgasmic birth this mythological thing that people think is impossible it's possible i went through it with my wife um if that's the case the first step is to decide where do i feel that most seen warmest coziest even safest although that word doesn't really belong in birth because there's nothing safe about a sacred transformation like birth i mean it probably feels very scary for the woman and certainly as a father i was very scared um so yeah sorry i'm, I'm rambling now but the point being that the the location of your birth is probably the only thing you really need to worry about and who you surround yourself with and you've made very, very clear boundaries as to when you want to be disturbed, how you want this process to go, and then relinquishing power over the rest and just riding the wave. That's really, I think, the best advice I can give to somebody who's preparing for an upcoming birth. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And I would even, you know, add on to that, like really drive home of like who's around you. I think um, especially my second um, birth, I, I did labor for over nine hours and I just had, you know, a random midwife that I had never met before. Yeah. And I needed someone stronger right? Like the head was crowning and I just needed someone to like, just probably yell cuss words at me. Like I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> you fucking got like, this, you go. <laughs> and no one was. And the baby, my baby just went straight back in. And like, mm. then that led to another few hours of trying to labor. And then that was it, you know, after nine, yeah. 10 hours, my body was done. Um, yeah. Leading to, you know, my second cesarean. But, um, I think that's really, really important. If you know who you are and what you need during tough situations, um, I would say if you are in a medical system that you'll just get like a random person, like hire out, like hi just hire someone. Like I wish I would have just hired someone to even come to me with me to the hospital if that's where we were going, you know, like just yeah. to have your coach behind you is I think invaluable. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I, I also understand why some women in their, or they, with their partners, they decide, Hey, I'm going to have a free birth. 
and I'm not even gonna have anybody around. I also understand that side. It's really like, this is an internal thing. And this is mm-hmm. again, where it comes back to the, the radical responsibility. If you're gonna have a home birth, if you're gonna have an out of hospital birth, whether it's free birth, surrounded by a doctor or a midwife or whatever, um, or nobody, you are, are acknowledging that there are certain responsibilities here that you as the parent are gonna have to assume, good or bad, it's on you. But hey, since you've maybe exercised your autonomy for the very first time in your life, really laying out what it is that I want, what am I hoping for, what are my values, what are my beliefs, what are my expectations, that might be the first time you've ever done that. And that in and of itself can be therapeutic. That facilitates this transformation I'm talking about from maiden to mother, mm-hmm. which happens every birth. It doesn't matter how many births you've had. There's a transformation there. So I've heard a lot of women who've told me, I didn't feel like a woman until I said, hell yes, or hell no to something in their childbirth. And so finding your voice and really feeling in to like, what is it that I want? What is it that I need? Who do I want there? The, whatever answer comes to you is the right answer. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be different. It's going to be completely individual. And if and if it means you have a hospital birth with a scheduled C-section, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. That's okay too. Yeah, exactly. Um, on that note though, <laughs> <laughs> what are the benefits of having a vaginal birth that aren't talked about enough when it comes to deciding between vaginal and c-section because i think that's kind of the information that isn't out there and i would almost go out on a limb saying most doctors won't tell you that information um i think the number one reason to not have a c-section to just cavalierly if that's even a word i've turned cavalier into an adverb i think it's probably a word um to, to approach C-section in such a cavalier way, the, the number one reason I would recommend against that is because most of the C-section data is only looking at a couple very easily measurable things, blood loss, infection rates, um, recovery time, hospital days, NICU admission, those types of things. But we're forgetting that, let's say that every woman in the world, hypothetical here, started choosing for C-section because us doctors are getting very good at this surgery. And that's why there's so many of them. If that were to happen, you're going to go in at 39 weeks or whatever, because of the ARRIVE trial, everybody's getting their babies out at 39 weeks now. Um, You go to the hospital at 39 weeks, we do your surgery. You didn't even feel a single surge of pain, which Mm -hmm. you, you, you report back as that was really great. I didn't have to feel anything. Okay. Well, is there some role for that, Mm -hmm. for that pain? You know, we can call it pain, but it's not like I punched you in the arm. It's your uterus is bringing your baby into the world. So there's two facets to this, to this process of a baby coming through the vagina. And I'm not going to talk about the obvious things, which includes colonizing you with flora and all of the decreased postpartum recovery, perhaps not requiring opioids or other you know, analgesics afterwards, being able to breastfeed right away, be able to connect with your baby right away. Those are important things, but everybody talks about that. The two things I want to mention are, number one, when you have a C-section in the way I just described it, you're not getting any oxytocin to the baby. And if we can go back to our hypothetical of, of 100% of babies being born, and by the way, it's close to that in certain parts of Brazil, Mexico, across South America, certain parts of Europe, C-sections are so common that mm-hmm. very, very few babies generationally are going to be born by C-section or by, by vagina in a couple of years or in a couple, let's say, a couple of decades. So if in our hypothetical, 100% of babies are coming through 
by an incision in the wound, number one, that should sound dystopic. But number two, the reason it should sound is so dystopic is that baby's not being flooded with the love hormone. And as we see C-sections rising dystopically, of course, over the decades, now in the United States, it's somewhere between 30 and 40% on average across the country. If that were to reach 100%, that means a generation or two of babies are going to be coming into the world without the mother or the baby being flooded with the love hormone as this baby emerges into the earth school. And if there's any indication that our world is is devoid of love, you need to start opening your eyes. There is very little empathy, very little compassion for one another. It's all a matter of who you're voting for in the upcoming election, which I, by the way, don't fucking care <laughs> yeah. because they're all devoid of love. These are these are uh, animatronic like you used to see at Chuck E. Cheese. They're all just doing the thing on stage. We need to really get back to connecting with ourselves, with our partners, with our communities, with our babies. And if babies are going to be coming into the world without exposure, without being flooded with the love hormone, they don't have the right attachment to their mother. There are there are these like little incubus, you know, it's like a brave new world kind of story that emerges after that. Um, and I know I'm sounding, I know that I'm sounding like I'm like, God, this guy's really intense. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been using gentle language now for about 10 years and nobody seems to really be listening. No. So yeah. if, it, you know, the rehearsal is over, it is time to push, stealing the language of Charles Eisenstein. Mm. It is, and it's also really relevant for birth. It is time to start pushing if we want anything to change. And I'm kind of over the flowery, colorful, everybody kumbaya language. Like you guys listening need to appreciate how incredibly impactful it is that children are not going to be born ever having been exposed to oxytocin, mm -hmm. especially if they weren't conceived naturally. And again, and this is not shaming or blaming for IVF. You've been through it yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. But if every single baby was just a formed an embryo, popped into the uterus, and then goes through the whole experience in our stressful environment without oxytocin, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. The other issue is based on Stan Groff's work, which I've been captivated by. He's really famous for using LSD at end of life. Mm -hmm. to help with existential pain. But his other body of work is even more fascinating to me. Stan Groff and Joan Halifax, um, they were doing the LSD work and Stan was developing holotropic breathing as the Nixons and Reagans of the world tried to shut down you know, drugs, drug use. And he simultaneously started thinking about birth. When a baby comes through the birth canal, goes through these four matrices, there's first the immersion within the amniotic universe, warm, happy, flipping around inside mama's belly. Then you get the development of these cosmic oppressive forces. And you're like, ooh, it's getting tighter in here. And then a, a little window opens up. And as that oppressive force starts to squeeze and squeeze, the baby starts to have this struggle with death and rebirth. And then finally, we have a resolution. There is the birth, there is the rebirth, the death, whatever, however we want to look at it of the birth of a baby. Well, he would, he, he has, he's emphasized that this process of going through this oppressive struggle through the vaginal canal is perhaps how we get embodied with the subtle energetic bodies of the human experience, the mental, or let's call it the, the etheric, especially the astral, and then the eye. Those all start to be formed early on through this process going through the birth canal. So in addition to all of the, the benefits I've already described, we have this scheduled C-sections at 100% rate would devoid our, our entire uh, civilization of love at the time of birth. And we would not be, be embodied sufficiently with all of these energetic bodies. Now, of course, you'd have to ask, well, if I came, a baby came through by C-section, does that mean that they're not embodied? Mm 
Of course they are. In fact, some babies come through the C-section scar. They come through the abdomen because they want they need to keep one foot in the astral in order to promote angelic healing to everybody around us. So there's a good reason that we have some C-sections. When we start to treat the body like a, 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 a machine mm-hmm. and we reduce it down to just the sum of parts though, then we end up with this dystopic world I've described. And so um, I hope that that answers your question. It's probably not the answer you were expecting, though. (laughs) No, I mean, it's exactly what I want my listeners to hear about. And the only thing that really um, gave me hope and strength after, especially my first C-section, because I um, only labored for about two and a half hours, and that was forced by induction. Um, My mother-in-law is a retired midwife, and she said, you know, that, and he was in the canal. He came out with a huge cone head um, that you labored. You gave him those oxytocin. You know, you were, he was in that, he felt everything that you just described, my baby felt. And even though I didn't get all the way through, that gave me reassurance in so many different levels, right? Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and then, yeah, with my second one, it, he even got further down the line. But um, I do think it's just, I, I agree with you. I think there are specific reasons why you would schedule an early cesarean, and that's not shaming or blaming, but having that consciousness of like, okay, if I don't 100% need this or even like 50% need this for medical reasons, I'm going to try at least. I'm going to, you know, give my baby and myself all those feelings and at least try. And if it doesn't work, yeah. you know, I know I have a safe option to back me up. Right. Um, and one of the things, you know, for any mama who does find herself on that bed, the second time around when I knew it was going to be my last shot um, and like everyone thought I was absolutely crazy in the room, even my husband, I said, I want you to lower the curtain and I want to see my baby come out. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah, I was like, I've gotten everything taken away from me. I want this. I want to see my baby. And it was the most magical experience ever, right? Like, yeah, it was like this ugly blue ball of (laughs) of blood. It was disgusting. But it was just, I think, like you say, that connection for a mother, like that locking the eyes on your baby for the first time, because my first cesarean was an emergency and they actually took my baby away. My husband actually came over and said, do you want to see a photo of your baby? I know I would know. Give me my fucking baby by now. Like, this is crazy. Let me have my baby. (laughs) Um, And I was very fortunate because I had done all the work before I got to breastfeed my babies right away. And I, my first recovery was hard, but my second recovery was easy. Um, But there's a lot there's a lot to it, man, more so than just giving birth, right? Yeah. Like you say, and what I truly believe now and what I'm saying is that, you know, um, fertility, pregnancy, and birth has been taken for granted for centuries, and rightly so. We should not have to overthink how amazing this process is and how, quote unquote, simple it should be for the mother. And with the last, like, let's say four decades, we are just destroying ourselves. And like you right. say, very slowly, it takes a long time. And I truly believe that if we're keep, we keep pumping out um, 
IVF babies who are not, the mothers are not taking three to six months to improve their cellular health. Three decades from now, we're going to have infertile children or men and especially women or both, right? Like we're just not going to be able to have these conversations. So I think the harshness that we are now bringing out is out of our love to say like, wake up. Wake the fuck up. Yeah. We are doing major damage on so many levels of this process that our great grandchildren will be like, oh, you you could have had a baby naturally. What? Now they're all made in factories. <laughs> have you read Brave New World by Aldous Huxley? No. Uh, I mean, that's exactly the scenario. Is yeah. there's a generation of children who were born in incubators, and in class they talk about how babies used to be born, and they like don't even have the language. They're like, is it called birth? And they're like, that's what it's called, and it's such a gross thing to talk about, and. And uh, we're not, I mean, we're not being honest with ourselves, you yeah. know, and, and the REI doctors drive me absolutely bananas because they'll get anybody pregnant mm-hmm. without first getting the foundations of a healthy soil laid. Yeah. It's not a problem that we're doing IVF. That is an incredible technology. Like exactly. what an incredible thing we can do. Mm-hmm. But we all, you know, you've mentioned this before, IVF is an independent risk factor for a wide variety of pregnancy complications. Is it because IVF is dangerous? Maybe. But is it more likely that there was some other health issue upstream that nobody had either the foresight or the wherewithal to actually help you get your health from a cellular, from a, an epigenetic, yeah. um, to an, from an environmental standpoint in order? And so as we're injecting these synthetic hormones into people's bodies, we've got fields millions of acres of fields that are devoid of any nutrition and we don't seem to see a connection here that like as we're destroying the planet we being a part of the ecosystem we are starting to perish as well Mm -hmm. and if our fertility rates are declining there's a reason for that and people just want to say like oh boo-hoo i you know i can't get pregnant well like have you tried to work with just the foundational things have you tried to get more sleep have you tried to go and find a local farmer who are a local rancher who makes great beef and just tried to make some of these subtle changes. No, then you haven't really done it all. So being somebody who stepped out of the conventional model, I have no qualms about sending people to get IVF and everything after I've had at least, at least 90 days to six months to really try to hone in on what it is that we can do. And most of those people do get naturally pregnant. Mm-hmm. For those who don't, hey, we've laid down healthy soil so that when you go for that $10,000 IVF treatment, it's going to stick the first time. Yeah. And you're not going to develop preeclampsia at 32 weeks yeah. and end yeah. up in the operating room. You know, So there's way more to this conversation. And I, I hope that we're not being so harsh that people feel like we're disempowering because I'm actually trying to do exactly the opposite. Forget what the doctors have said. You can do this. You just mm-hmm. need to find the right team to help get all of these little modifiable risk factors out of the way so we can call in the spirit of this baby and we can get you that family that you're you're so called to have. Yes, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, the people who do listen to this, even if the, the viewership goes down, <laughs> down because it's going to be just real talk from now on, right? Like the people who are ready to hear this message are the people who are going to um really help the consciousness of humanity um because right now it's in dire straits on many many different levels and just because 
our fertility, you know, we specialize in fertility. So that's where we hone in on. But this has been such a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. Let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah, my my website is um, belovedholistics.com. And um, I've got some some really cool stuff in the works. I, I do still do one-on-one, but I've had to increase my prices because for all the reasons that we've described and working out of the system, I really have, it's really quite hard <laughs> yeah. to justify how much time and, and presence and patience it requires to do what I do. Um, but you can do, you can go and find me at Beloved Holistics. I have a private contract association, which means we're not working with insurance. We're not working with lawyers. We're not working with administrators or policymakers. It's me and you. We're going to get your health as, as tuned in, as, as dialed in as we possibly can. I do have, um, you know, in my experience, I'd say less than 2% of couples are truly infertile. I think it's largely a myth. I just yeah. think that we haven't done our duty as a medical system. And I'm going to say on behalf of them, I'm sorry we've let you guys down so much that we haven't helped you sustain, you know, <laughs> vitality, let alone fertility. And mm-hmm. um, the number I just remembered, it's about $4 billion that are in, that's invested annually into fertility treatments. So if you know, somebody who chooses to work with me, I, I work for everywhere from preconception all the way through birth, birth, postpartum, et cetera. I do have a new fertility program that I'm launching. It's called the, this came to me in a medicine ceremony, Patients, Reverence, and Presence nice. Fertility Program, the PRP Fertility Program. It's a higher price point, but I'm certain that of the people out there that are struggling with fertility, this is going to get 90% of the people there to natural conception. It includes Everything from fertility awareness education to yoni steaming with a steaming plan. I send you all the herbs, functional lab testing, including Dutch, um, a variety of books, biogeometry pendants for EMF medication, full well fertilities, vitamin lineup, some bioptimizers, vitamins like magnesium breakthrough, blood sugar breakthrough to get your, your A1C down a little bit, organ meat complex, um, push and catch out liver detox protocol, access to BirthFit's online B community. I've also got a course coming out through the Czech Institute called Natural Fertility, an Integrated Approach to Women's Reproductive Health. You get access to that. And then there's a variety of other practitioners that are brought onto my team because I, I can't be the everyman. I've got yeah. Emily the Medium in the, on the program, Sarah Tramoli, a breath worker, a Chinese medicine doc, Valerie Jacobson, an Aldoa practitioner, Chris Crawford, who's an osteopath, um, a yogi and LNLP practitioner, Barrett Freibert, Sarah Gustafson, who's a PhD and medical physical metaphysical counselor. Like this is the program that I would like to see in the conventional model, but I had to create it myself because yeah. no insurance company is possibly going to provide that. So you can find all of that at my website and uh, my podcast uh, is the Holistic OBGYN podcast. I'd love it if you would grace my audience with an appearance as well in the coming months, uh, maybe early in the new year. And we'll, we'll definitely um, share the wealth a little bit about your story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds all super amazing. And I know that you're going to change lives and that's what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have been, it's, I just finally put all of this together into an, a concerted program where they're going to get everything under the sun. And when you're through with a program like this, if you end up with IVF, that's fine. The goal yeah. is for you to have the best outcome and best experience possible and don't to not have to go broke in the process. So. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's yeah. quite expensive, right? How much does IVF even cost now? 
I don't know. You know what? I did all my treatment over in the United Kingdom. Um, and so I even get yeah, shit from cheaper. people um, in the United States like, oh, you didn't pay enough. I'm like, girl, God, we are talking. We are we're so in- toxic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, yes, it was cheaper, but it was in British pounds. And there's, you know, there's different factors. But I, totally. most of my clients that come to me that are paying out of pocket are around 20 grand in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. So for a quarter of that, if they were working with people like me and you who are talking about cellular health, you could save yourself 15 grand and have a lot left over. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not even that expensive. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, maybe I should raise my price if people aren't scared to pay 20 grand for one shot where, you know, like us, we're, we're, we're creating lifestyles. We're creating conscious moms. Like we are, way beyond and i've done a tiktok where it's like this is what you get with ivf and a health coach and at the end of it it's like a baby like it's a question mark because you know that's down to multiple factors right like we can't control it ivf can't control it it's all timing it's different things but i'll tell you what if you go the holistic route even if you use medical assistance along the side yeah your life changes i mean i wouldn't be here doing this podcast if i didn't radically change right so well i mean yeah you're about to have a kiddo as well if you get mm-hmm. pregnant and have a kid you are going to find yourself so depleted mm-hmm. that we need to get your health in order now before you even start this journey i mean it's it makes so much sense to me but i realize how, that it is still we've got a learning curve there and massively um when people work with you i'm sure they feel they don't have anything to compare it to but dang it your adrenals, your endocrine system, your brain, everything's working better by the time you even get to the birth yeah. when you're going to become depleted again because you're not, <laughs> not sleeping. And so it's like, like, let's get it dialed in now so that you and your partner can actually survive early parenting as well. Like there's so many reasons mm-hmm. that uh, I can keep going, but I, I appreciate the time. Thank you yeah, for having me. No problem. Thank you <laughs> so much, like Nathan. Friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Um, have a beautiful day and I'm sure we'll connect soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Monica. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Finding Fertility podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please leave us a rating and review and let us know how this podcast is supporting you to get steps closer to creating your dream family. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next Friday for another episode of the Finding Fertility podcast.